0: Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, clarify your message, and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the word mastery. The definition we are focusing on in this episode is skill or knowledge that makes one master of a subject. Synonyms are command, dominion, and authority. So, it gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest, Phil Palin, who is a master of branding, digital marketing, and social media. He's also one of my favorite people on the planet because what's not to love about this descriptor of Phil? He's a motivational burst of energy that'll challenge audiences to be better than ever before. Amen to that. Welcome, Phil.
1: Oh, what an intro, what a pleasure to be here. Likewise on the comment about being in the same room virtually with one of my favorite humans on the planet. <laughs> That's you BBA, here we are, here we go. This is gonna be fun.
0: We are reunited and it feels so good.
1: It, I feel sorry for everyone around us when you and I see each other next in real life cause it's gonna be so much love oozing all over the place that it's just going to get messy, and it's just the way it's going to be.
0: This is, you got your e-ticket to Phil's wild ride on Camera Ready and Able. So let's start with, why did you choose mastery as your word?
1: Okay, why did I choose mastery as my word? I love the word mastery. I, well... I mean, it's, it's a descriptor in the name of three of my courses, but beyond that, branding choice, I, I think we're always trying to get better at whatever we do. And I think branding, there's a certain nature of evolution in branding. And I think th- one of the things that always stays constant is that we are trying to become a master at what we do. And when I think about, Barbara, all the successful people I know they're successful for lots of reasons, but one of those reasons is that they are a master at what they do or they operate in their area of genius. And I think everyone in the world would be really happy, would live a fulfilled life, full of balance and, I don't know, fulfillment, if we all knew and could achieve that that kind of operating, that mastery in our areas of genius. So. There's your explanation on why I chose that word. I think it's relevant to everyone. I
0: want to actually bring up one of my favorite books is called Talent is Overrated. What Really Separates World-Class Performers from Everybody Else by Jeff, Jeff Colvin. And what he gets into is exactly what you just spoke about, that it's about mastery. It's not about talent. It's about putting in the work. And so many of the most extraordinary people that we could name, it's because they put in the work. Very few people are actually born with such exceptional gifts that just push them ahead. And and the thing that makes it different, too, is it's not just working hard for the sake of working hard. It's actually focused work so that you're constantly honing in on those, the details or what you need to master. So sports is always a really great way to you use a metaphor. So if you're a golfer, a tennis player, it's looking at your swing. It's not about doing the same swing a thousand times. It's constantly looking like, how do I swing better? Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes mm-hmm. we can get into the. It's another way of like working smarter, not harder, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted to ask you about how that shows up in your own work and with your clients, this notion of working really hard and being focused to develop mastery.
1: It's a common thread in- Everyone that has achieved a certain level of success. Listen, I'm reflecting this year on 10 years in this job of whatever it is I do. I call myself a brand strategist, but it's lots of things and lots of days. But certainly, I mean, the type of clients that I've worked with over the years are... Masters, they've achieved a certain level of success typically on their own. And when they come to work with me, we are having a dialogue about what it's going to take to get them to the next level. And branding is my instrument, it's my business tool to help manifest where it is they want to go. But I think it shows up every single day for me, it shows up every single day for my clients, people that I'm coming in contact with every single day. It's not just clients. I've got courses and I've got people online that are sliding into my DMs. Phil, what do I do? I'm publishing these days two YouTube videos every single week. Phil, help me with this, right? It's not just people I work with. It's people that I'm trying to inspire and people that I'm, you know, keeping on my radar. I think we're all trying to become masters to bring that full circle. I think it's something that we're all trying to do. And I think to add on to that, I think it gets a little scary when we try to take on too much, my biggest fear is not being a master at one thing, but being average at many things. And sure, it's fine mm. if you're young in your career and you're trying to figure it out. But even in you know college or university, right, it's like ideally you graduate with some kind of expertise, some kind of knowledge, some kind of focus or some kind of specific topic that you think, boom, that's it. That's what I want to do. That's something I would do with my life, even if I didn't have to work. It was a hobby. I mean, I love making websites, Barbara. Like, and I learned that while I was still studying, and I'm grateful for that. That really steered me in the right direction. I think I'd be making them if it was my hobby, but I do it for a living. And I think that's why I'm so bubbly and hoppy and happy, because I love my job. And because I love it, I do it a lot. And because I do it a lot, I become a master at it because I'm constantly challenging myself to become better.
0: And one of the things I know you mastered, because I've watched you do it in real time low these many years since we first met, is you mastered public speaking and created that as a very impressive income stream. So would you mind sharing or walking us through all the effort, all, everything you did to master being a keynote speaker?
1: Sure. I hear that and go, wait, is she talking about me? Um, Because that's an area I would say I've probably focused on a little less in the last year. um, Just given the, the, the client projects I've been working on, they've been so awesome. Really nice clients, really exciting industries. But yes, Barbara, like this is, this is a fun little, little story I'll tell. But I moved to LA when I was 22. 2011, I wanted to become a TV host. That was my thing. My first job, my first job, I was 13, 14. Um, in Canada, I hosted a show on a kid's network, a reality show. And so that was my first kind of foray into entertainment. And when I moved to LA, I wanted to become a TV host. I realized when I got to LA that there were 100 people plus lining up for auditions for one job. And guess what? People in those lines were doing that every single day and they wanted the job a lot more than I wanted it. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to be a TV host. That's a bit intense for me because mama's got to pay rent next month. Um, but why don't I align myself to be in that world and to help those people become confident online with their brand, with their social media strategy. That's how I got into that world. That's how I've kind of, you know, waded around in this world, how you and I met, um, Public speaking, to bring this back around, public speaking for me was a way that I could still use those hosting, presenting, communication skills, but tie it into my business. So teaching is something I love to do. When you're up on stage, it's a combination of teaching... I would say engaging or captivating an audience so they pay attention to you and problem solving. The conference or the organization that hires you is not really bringing you for a show, although sometimes I like to think it's a show. I tell myself that. But they're really bringing you in to solve a problem. And so I kind of like it. That's how public speaking has kind of you know become a part of my business. It's something I love to do. It's something I'm constantly trying to get better at. and honestly, in the early days before I was even getting paid to speak, I would do it because I'd get some really good trips out of it. I've been to five continents, all from speaking engagements.
0: But that's what I mean. You put a lot into it and you kept saying yes, right? And how many speeches have you given?
1: Have you ever counted? Mm, No, but I counted recently how many countries I've uh, either given a talk or worked with A client in and that's 31.
0: There you go. Because the point I was, I was trying to make and drive home for the audience is you set this as a goal. You saw this as an area of growth for you personally and for your business. Mm -hmm. And then you started and you stuck with it.
1: Oh, you have to, you have to, you have, that's the hardest part is sticking with it, particularly in moments where you're not being delivered what you thought you were going to get from it, let me tell you a story. I don't want to just go on and on about, you know, here are all my accomplishments. I have 31 countries that I've spoken in. I just added Monaco because that's not the full story. There are instances where I paid my way for the opportunity to go and speak, hoping that maybe I'd get a client out of it. I flew myself to Dubai to speak at a conference to wear a suit in 40 degree weather. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. I'm now back in Celsius mode because I've been spending time in Mexico. It's it's
0: really, really warm.
1: That's hot. And didn't get any clients from it, really. I mean, met some nice people that I kept in touch with, but it's not all like, you know, sunshine and roses. And those are the moments, Barbara, where you have to remember, nah, this is a long game. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And there's going to be great moments and there's going to be tough moments and you just got to keep going keep going, keep going, keep going.
0: It's also nonlinear. It often zigs and zags, starts and stops, ups and downs.
1: Very nonlinear. And don't you feel like in those moments of up, uh, if you're zigging and you're at the top of your game, please, in those moments, can we just remind ourselves that, listen, we might be zagging after this and that's totally okay. You're allowed to zag. We can zig today, but you're going to zag tomorrow, and that's okay, because then after that, you're going to zig again.
0: Wise words, dear Phil. Wise words. This is what I'm always excited that you can stop, pause, rewind, and listen to that one more time. So when did you start to feel that you had mastered public speaking or this area of your business?
1: I don't feel like I've mastered public speaking. I feel like I have a long ways to go. I need to charge more. I need to be better with my outreach strategy now virtual is the main conduit in terms of where opportunities are and i fall into this zone of worrying about all the challenges associated with that now you know past presidents and politicians can be giving keynotes and celebrities for a fraction of the the speaking fees because it's all digital and so the you know there's more competition I mean, that could be true, but there's also still lots of opportunities. So I hear you say, when did you become a master? And I don't even hear that I've become one. I right away rhyme all, you know, all the things that like I need to be doing better. But maybe one of the first moments where I was like, wow, I just got paid a decent amount of money to give some people advice in a public forum. I would say that's one of those moments where I thought, "Ooh, that felt kind of good. I want to do more of that. That would have been a few years ago. The latest challenge, Barbara, is now that I'm spending more time in Latin America, I've had a few opportunities come up and <laughs> where ideally I'd be speaking in Spanish. I gave a talk in Colombia last year in Cartagena and I had they brought a translator just for me and I felt really dumb about that. So that motivated me to spruce up my Spanish skills. So yeah, the latest thing now is like, well, how can I not just be speaking in the U.S. or English-speaking countries, but also elsewhere?
0: Very impressive. How, much, how often do you practice Spanish? Daily, I presume. How do you do mm, it?
1: I need to pretty much be forced to, because in our house we speak English, even though my BF is Venezuelan. He says, and I quote, I don't have patience to teach you, end quote. Which, to be fair, I require a decent amount of patience on a good day. But, um, I did take Spanish classes two years ago here in Medellin where I am now. I did 125 hours. My spoken is still terrible, but my comprehension, man, it was worth it to do all those hours just to understand what the hell is happening around me. So, but yeah, he's been gone Mm -hmm. for two weeks. He's in Venezuela now. So I have been forced to speak in Spanish and I'm actually enjoying the challenge.
0: In addition to learning Spanish, what are you looking to master next?
1: I am looking to master next. Oh, there's so many things. The first thing that comes to mind, Barbara, when you ask me that is, I believe 2020 has taught us the importance of trying to build multiple income streams. It was not a particularly difficult year for me. In fact, I worked more last year than I ever have. It was our best year in business. Grateful for that. But also a rude reminder to the world Don't put all your eggs in one basket. So I'm trying to get a few baskets going so that ideally I have enough passive income from things like online courses, webinars, real estate, from those types of things that I don't have to work super hard. I still will because I love my job, but it'd be nice to not have the pressure um, to do that. So I'd say I'm trying to become Mm -hmm. a master at building what I would call a safety blanket in 2021 and beyond, which is multiple income streams so that if one thing happens, no stress.
0: Do you have a strategy around mastering all those different streams?
1: Mm, nope. I don't have a strategy around it. i say <laughs> I'm, sp- I'm sponging up information and I'm prioritizing it as something that, I, des- that I deserve to spend time on. So instead of 100% of my day going towards everyone else, clients, demands, emails, et cetera, I need to remember to give myself permission to prioritize myself. Amen
0: to that. It also reminds me of something that Marie Forleo speaks about a lot, which is a practical approach to this, is that you have to schedule it, carve out time for yourself and put it on the calendar Because you're investing yourself, which is an investment in your business. It's an investment in your clients. And the other thing you just said, which is an important part, which I was driving at, was you have all these different things and then you have to prioritize them. Because you can't do them all at once.
1: You can't do them all at once. This is a theme of our conversation today. You can't do everything all at once well. I am a big believer in scheduling. I'm also a big believer in timing yourself while you're, quote, working. So I have a software, it's my most important business software subscription that is a Chrome extension, it's called EverHour, and I will click on my timer. If you could see my screen right now, my timer is on. Do you wanna know why, Barbara? Because I'm working right now. Do you wanna know why I'm working? Because I'm building a piece of content with my friend, And someone's going to listen to this and maybe they follow me on Instagram, buy a course, become a client. I don't know. I can't anticipate that. But what I can do is make time for things that matter. And this is just as important right now as if I was to jump over next and work on a client website or a client project. So for me, timing myself keeps me uh, accountable for my time. What I can do is at the end of the day, look at my day and go, okay, wow, only two hours on the clock. What the hell happened to you today? And I have to be accountable for that. Um, Or I can look at my day and go, wow, eight hours on the clock. Honey, you need a break. Uh, That's a lot. Because we think, okay, eight-hour workday. Realistically, I know from timing myself, I aim for four. Four hours on the clock every single day. That's a challenge. Um, If it's a day full of phone calls, it's a little bit easier. But if if I'm working on things, you'd be amazed at how fast time goes by. So scheduling things and being on the clock for everything that you do. And I would say, if you struggle making time for hobbies, then put yourself on the clock for that too, right? Just really be aware of where your time goes.
0: I couldn't agree more. That's a big point I make with clients when I'm working with them who are new to this. We start scheduling everything, including wake up, brush Mm. teeth, stretch, exercise, go to market, drop off kids. Whatever you do, it goes on the calendar and you break the habit of having multiple calendars Cause you only have one life. Cause that's how you start to find those pockets of time to your mm-hmm. point. And then also understanding as I think you do inherently the rhythms of your day. When are you, when are you at your peak? When are you having valleys? When does your energy go back up? So how do you, as much as you can assign yourself tasks based on the best use of your energy? Good right? point. Yeah. yeah. Most of us it's creative work in the morning, but not all, obviously many, many performers are at their creative peak at night. So you, have a, you schedule your day in a very different way. I want to go back to something you said in the very beginning. You m- mentioned it more than once, zone of genius, which I love. And understanding I, it, it, the difference between your zone of excellence and your zone of genius. And so hitting your zone of excellence feels really, really good.
1: Mm-hmm. That's the that's, zig. We talked about the zig. We've got a few names for them.
0: But the zone of genius is is the ultimate level we all want to reach, right? That's mastery is the zone of genius that's also referred to as when you're in flow
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? So I want to get a sense of how you get there, how you define it, what it feels like for you,
1: okay, I think a big part of it is self awareness big part of it is self awareness, so actually taking the time to go, what am I good at? what do I enjoy? I mean, you know by now how I define. You know, branding, I think, at least when I'm positioning someone's brand or my own, it's always a combination of two things. Something you love paired with something others need. I think really that is like the formula for successful positioning in any industry. So first, being aware of what is it you love? What are you passionate about? What would you do every single day if money was no object? What would you do with your time? I say, if you won the lottery today, what would you do with your time tomorrow? Paired with a need, because there's no need for what you offer Then It's a hobby. But as soon as you pair that need, or as soon as you pair that passion with something people need, then you can pretty much comfortably get to work. And ideally, your work is positioned to allow you to operate what we're calling your area of genius or your zone of genius. And that's you doing something you love to do, but something you're amazing at. You've identified that it's something you're so good at that ideally your time is spent doing that thing as much as possible within reason. And you build the infrastructure around you, whether it be delegation, you know, administrative tasks done by someone else. If you're not particularly organized I think all the most successful people spend time doing whatever it is they need to do to build a business or to make money, but it's also something that they enjoy doing. So if we start to kind of like quantify that, I think that's what it is. How do I do it? I'm aware of what I'm good at. I'm good at teaching. I'm good at explaining things. I've gotten better at listening I was never a good listener, but in order to do my job, you must listen. I love to talk, but it's much more important for me to actually listen.
0: How did you learn to do that?
1: Mm, I think really being aware that it was something I needed to learn, or something to master to be able to do my job better.
0: What's the moment when you thought, "Oh, if I was a better listener, that would have had a different outcome.:
1: Um, I don't know that I have one specific moment. But I think probably in the early days of doing what I call a brand audit, when I sit down with someone and go, okay, here's where you're at. Here's where you want to go. Let's build a strategy for this. I think in the earlier days, I was like, wow, I really, really need to listen to be able to give good advice. Instead of me being so focused, it's like when you introduce yourself to someone, you're so focused on saying your own name that you actually forget to listen to the other person's name. Maybe that was one of those moments where I realized that had happened to me a few times. I was like, no, no, no. Try again. You'll be so focused on like what I have to say and get out in a short period of time. Moment of anxiety, but actually, what are you hearing? Absorb and then, so there, I found a moment. I didn't know that moment right away, but in our in our flow, Barbara, I identified our a flow. moment when I realized that was important.
0: That is really essential, though, right? Because especially in the design process. And the brand building, and this is one of the things you do so beautifully, is you're not handing someone your brand, you're handing them their brand in collaboration with them and building it together.
1: Yeah. It's a process. I love our business because our process is really comprehensive. So much so that it's led me to work with really exceptional people in incredible industries, but our, we don't like design your logo on a Monday and hand it to you on a Tuesday. It's like a four month. It's a four month process. If we're doing photography, brand identity, website, sometimes longer, we take the time to do it right. So someone comes to me and says, oh, I, you know, I'm on a budget and I need this done quickly. You are for sure not going <laughs> to hire me. You're not going to hire me. You're not going to hire me. Um, it takes four months and it costs $20,000 if we're going to be totally frank with each other, sometimes more, but that's because we build in the time, the framework to do it responsibly. We know why we have an excuse to engage and that could be website photography, you know, brand identity, logo, all of those elements. That's our excuse to engage, but there's so much packed into that. We become for our clients' accountability partners. On some days we become therapists, you know, we become coaches, we become lots of things in that. And I love that we've built the container, the ability for us to help our clients in that way. I think that's what I love so much about my business. This kind of fast transactional Fiverr ecosystem is not my world and I don't ever want that to be my world.
0: You are so incredibly generous with information. So I want to direct everyone at this moment to your website where you have, count them, 10 free downloadable assets that are incredible. I have all 10, by the way. Oh, I love them. Thank you. So I want to zero in on a couple of things. So I do really want everyone to scoot on over. It's really incredible what you are sharing and putting out there for free to make the world a better place. So yeah. one of the things you and I are a hundred percent simpatico about is the notion of making email marketing a priority over social media. Can I tell you how much pushback I get on this when I try to explain this to people?
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So from my point of view, and then I'll shut up, but one, you own your email list, which is enormously valuable and, yes, and it actually is. has a cash value in other other areas of your life where you may be pitching and negotiating, you own it. You are not at the mercy of a third party platform that is perhaps whimsical about its algorithm, (laughs) but you are the master of this, Phil. So break it down.
1: Okay. This topic I love because it's not a sexy topic, but I have a feeling with you and I having this discussion or we're going to make it sexy. Oh, we're
0: making it sexy. We're making it sexy. I'm all a tingle.
1: Well, because email (laughs) gives you... I mean, how often do people change their email addresses, right? I can't guarantee they're going to open the email. That's on you, honey bear. You got to have a good subject line. You got to keep that email, in my opinion, short and sweet. The longer it is, the less I'm going to read because I'm busy. So I think you know that I have a lot of fun with my email marketing because... I, I draft an email and I don't, this is not something I delegate by the way. And I'm not like, I'm not a writer. Writing is not something I enjoy, but I love email marketing because it's such a fun challenge for me. How can I say everything I need to say in the shortest way possible? Why do I do that? Why do I go through that exercise of get my ideas out and then edit, 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 short, 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 because I'll tell you the truth. I respect my audience's time. I respect my audience's time. I respect their attention on me, if even for 30 seconds a day. And so I think it's disrespectful for me to create a piece of content that is going to require five minutes of them to consume unless they've asked for it in the form of a course, in the form of a premium newsletter, which is now becoming all the rage. Um, That's a bold assumption that you know, you have that kind of time to invest in me? Mm-mm. So I try to say what I need to say in a very short way. Do you want to know something too? I, I go on podcasts and I've had people say to me, your bio, Phil, I, I, you know, sent over your bio and it's four sentences long. I'm like, yeah, what else do you need to know? I mean, really, what else do you need to know? You don't need to know more than that. You can find it online. You can dig a little bit if it's really important to you, but I just, you know, I really appreciate when I have someone's attention and I want to make it worth their while. End of story. So email, for me, is so fun. I love visuals. I love beautiful things. I've made a career creating beautiful things. My emails have next to no visuals in them. When I send an email, I try and send one hyperlink, one hyperlink. So I'm not asking you to walk through a 100 doors because then you're just going to stand there and stare at them and spend way too long deciding which door you're going to go through. One door, walk through this door. So that's why I love email. And for all the reasons you described, the ownership, the access to an audience, when I go to sell something, I sell from my email list, not from social media. And I I think social media has a place. And I break my last comment. I, I break my own rule, Barbara, when I say, you know, don't show up everywhere. I do show up everywhere, but it informs what I teach and what I learn when I'm working with clients. So I break the rule because I think it's part of my job to understand where personal brands can be effective in terms of how they use their time to show up online. So that's why I break my own rule, but email marketing, that's my love language.
0: (laughs) Why embrace Evergreen? It's another one of your tips that I thought was fantastic.
1: Oh, thank you. Let me tell you why you should embrace evergreen. Because if it weren't for evergreen content, if it weren't for an evergreen webinar, I wouldn't be selling courses right now, right now, in this second, in this moment. If it weren't for an evergreen video that I made a little over a year ago with the title Instagram Questions Sticker Story Ideas, a mouthful. So I had to say it slowly. If I didn't make that evergreen piece of content that you could watch a year ago when I published it or now, it wouldn't have surpassed 100,000 views yesterday if it wasn't evergreen. It was this boring little video that was born out of literally someone sending me a DM. Do you have any ideas for what I could do with my question sticker? Ding. We don't have sound effects. I have to make my own here. Ding. What that would be a great video title. I don't know if it's going to fly or not, but all I can do is try. And that became a zig. That was a hit past 100,000 views yesterday, all because it's evergreen. People are watching it today because it's just as relevant.
0: That's fantastic. What else has surprised you?
1: Hmm. Now we're getting deep. I mean, we're getting deep from the moment we started here. Um, Have you noticed how many like sexual innuendos we've had in this chat? I think it's hilarious, by the way. I just love us, Barbara. I just love us. What has surprised me?
0: Is there a change in the marketplace or a trend that surprised you or caught you off guard or thrilled you in ways you didn't anticipate?
1: No, because I, I love trends. I love, I'm always curious about those kinds of things. So I, as soon as I start to see people doing something, I get excited, you know, about whether that's going to stick or not. Okay, here's a surprise, Clubhouse. Clubhouse has taken off, but I think it's uh, an app in a culture that's not actually sustainable. So maybe I didn't see that right away. I was really super excited about it, like many people in the early days of it. And now, I mean, it's the app that I would probably open the least on my phone. Um, Because I think... Maybe here's where I'm I'm surprised by the, by the culture of that app. I think it's not... Sure, there are great moments. There are great moments, but I don't think it's a culture that's sustainable. Uh, I, I don't think it's a culture that's sustainable. Whereas you look at an app like TikTok, which actually has a really positive culture about it, and I think it is sustainable for that reason and others. But I think Clubhouse is... Um, I don't think it's going to stick around. And I didn't see that in the very early days. I thought, oh, this is something really cool. I need to get on board. I remember I listened to one of your clubhouses, actually. It was really good. But yeah, I don't think it's going to be around.
0: What are some of your favorite go-to resources, blogs, podcasts, thought leaders, books? Which, by the way, I still love your book, Shut Up and Tweet.
1: Thank you. Oh, that's now a legacy project, 2014. But hey, I wrote it evergreen so that it's still useful today. Favorite resources... I am not a big podcast listener, but I've listened to yours and loved it to celebrate your launch. And I'm more of like a music listener. I'm not, I, I get stressed if I'm trying to work and then someone's talking at me in a podcast. I'm like, no, no, no. Phil has to focus on one thing. If he tries to do this, then I'm going to be writing the things that people are saying in the podcast. It doesn't work for me. I like to watch behavior of people online. Like I like to watch what people are doing and I think about why they're doing it more so than I'll pull up articles or read certain resources if I'm having to research something for a course or for a video. But I more learn by observing, even sometimes when it's not intended. I don't know, watching people on Instagram, watching people in their stories, If people are talking about something that they've read or something that's moved them then I might pay attention. Everyone's talking about James Clear right now. So I might listen to his audiobook, even though I never finish audiobooks because my attention span is short. I'll at least start. I don't really have any go-to resources, Barbara, where I'm like, I'm going to go find the answer here. It's kind of an if and when, and when I'm feeling particularly inspired. Although, okay, this year I've gotten really into astrology. So I am totally a believer in astrology. I even have an astrologist. I'm part of a monthly membership. And I Freaking love it because it's not like woo, 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 woo. It's a little woo, but it's very structured woo. It's based on very specific things. And so far, my astrology readings mm-hmm. have been bang on accurate, and I find it fascinating. I think there's something there that hints at this world you know, the, the elements of the world that we don't know or can quantify like God and those kinds of things. I love astrology because it's very tangible and I'm loving that. So I would say, if you were to say, if you were to give me some pieces of advice, let's say some SEO strategy from Neil Patel. Yep. I'm sure it's good. I'd probably do it when I have time, which is never, or you, or your, my astrologer calls me and says like, or astrologist, I should say, calls me and says, Phil, this is going to happen at the end of this month. I'm going to take that advice. That's the advice I'm going to rock with weird, right? You know, one
0: of my favorite resources besides your website is your incredible Pinterest oh God, ecosystem. Thank you. I send people there all the time.
1: Do you? Just I need to do a better a job I, of updating it.
0: It's, it's beautiful and inspiring. So rattle off for me, what are the three courses that I can master via your website right now?
1: Okay. So my quarantine project, since I wasn't you know, butts in seats on airplanes. I decided to create courses that I always wanted to create, but never found time to actually deliver on. Um, I think there's a need in the marketplace for busy people to know what the heck they should focus on and how they can show up effectively in a short amount of time. So I created my first course, Content Mastery, which is still my bestseller. That teaches people how to plan, create, and perfect their content online, not just social media, but also newsletters, podcasts, et cetera. We talk about all of that. The two courses I created after that were email mastery. Well, we've talked about that. You know, I'm very, very passionate about email marketing. It's the least sexiest, but also the most sexiest form of content creation, particularly when it comes to selling. So I have a whole course dedicated on how to get started with that or even how to up your game. You might be on MailChimp, you might be on a free plan up to 2000 subscribers. But if you really want to level up, I myself took my list last year from 1800 to 10,000 in a year, just using the strategies I teach. Email mastery is helpful. And then Instagram mastery, the it platform, how to master it like a pro. That's my least favorite course because I have to update it all the time every time Instagram changes their plan, but it still is a very useful course on how to master all of the verticals of Instagram and how to use your very limited minutes wisely on that platform without getting too distracted. I'm very excited by reels right now, although there's a lot of dumb reels, but it's a really good way to get your your brand in front of new people. Uh, And then last piece of advice on Instagram, we don't spend enough time engaging with others. We need to spend more time engaging. That actually drives comments and engagement more so than creating the perfect piece of content. So those are the three courses. Let's give your audience a promo code, all caps, BBA50. BBA50 will get people 50% off the courses. You're welcome. J'adore
0: you, Phil Palin. So much. So scoot on over to philpallon.co with your BBA 50 code, which is so freaking generous, which is another theme of this episode of Camera Ready and Able, because how many times have you shared a story or an insight or referred us back to something you're doing that is so generous? I love that. I love that about you. And the other thing I want to point out is the number of times you mention how happy you are and how much you love your work. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I feel it. Will you come back another time?
1: Anytime you want, we can pick a new topic. Let's say people find one particular thing interesting. They should let you know and then bam, whammo, I'll be back to discuss it.
0: And I want to say thank you for listening for resources from this episode and previous episodes of Camera Ready and Able. You can hop on over to my website, which is ableintermedia.com. And please be sure to hit subscribe and share with your friends.